welcome to day 24 of 30 days of terror how you do how you doing i'm i'm all right actually i'm mr motivator today i feel quite impressed with how we've managed this in terms of i mean we're still both alive we're still alive we haven't fallen out yet no nobody's hurt each other no it's all good then he's still relaxed who Bim is still relaxed. <laughs> Lini is one of our many nicknames for her in case anybody's like, what did he just say? So I've got five stories for you today. Sorry, what? I've oh. got five stories for you today. Oh my gosh, this is going to be the longest episode ever. Don't worry, they're five like baby stories. So they're little short stories, so it's okay. Okay, like miniature cheeses. Like miniature baby bells, which are very delicious, by the way, if anybody is looking for a good, healthy <laughs> snack, a little mini baby bell will do for you. <laughs> it's very hot. I'm drinking Guinness. I'm sorry. And story number one today comes from Anonymous. I was sceptic about ghosts growing up but still terrified at the thoughts of anything out there watching and waiting to make noises. But after a few things happened to me over the years, I think there's something out there, but I can't explain what it is. When I was about 11, the power went in the house, and all eight of my siblings and my mother were in the kitchen with candles and chatting about random stuff, when someone, or something, ran across the floor on the landing which was above us. We all froze and my mother sent myself, my sister and my brother to check it out because she was terrified. Mother of the year right there. But there was no one up there. We went through three bedrooms and a bathroom and no one was there. My father said it was the pipe settling and it was all in our heads. In the last 10 years, I've been getting knocks on the walls when something was going to happen that was dangerous. I'm saying dangerous because it only happens if someone gets hurt or if something dangerous is nearby. For example, my cousin was attacked and I got the knock two hours beforehand and my sister walked into a room, turned the light on and the CCTV outside caught someone standing at the window and moved back when the light came on. I had gotten the knocks about an hour before this happened. There's also a smoke or fog-like thing in places wherever I am before someone dies. I recently got it in work in two different rooms and called a lad I work with for the first room because I could never explain it and I needed his opinion. He had no idea what it was because it has no smell. The second time I got it, I was the last one to leave the building. So I sent a video to my boss who got electricians and builders in because she believed there was a fault but nothing was wrong anywhere and they couldn't explain what it was. An aunt of mine died a few days later. I was just, sorry, I was in a world of my own thinking about what that fog could possibly be. Because, like, often those things are heard by the people that need to hear them. But then to generate, like, a fog or a mist that other people can see and can be recorded on camera is quite powerful, right? That's. I would imagine that's pretty powerful, yeah. Yeah. That's a very odd. I've not even heard of that manifestation. Obviously, we've talked, we've spoken about the the knock before, in terms of it being a warning sign, haven't we? On on episodes, we have spoken about it on episode, yeah. One, yeah. Um, so that's something we know about. Well, I've never heard of anything like that before. 
and for other people to be able to see it is fascinating. I wonder, I would like to know if you could like email us in again, if any of your wider family hear the knocks as well, because I know in Banshee lore, it's connected to families, not just individuals. So I'd love to know if any, if other people in your family can hear it. I mean, clearly other people can see the smoke, yeah, which is right? Which so, is wild. Yeah, wild is the right word. But can other people hear the knocks or do other people hear the knocks before things happen? I just I just feel like as well, we've had so many stories in these last two years about people who have had warnings of things. Whether or not you want to put it down to it being supernatural or it being your body's natural defense mechanism, whatever you want to think. But we've had loads of stories like that. So I think it's a a pretty serious phenomenon. I feel like they'd be wasted on me and you, though. Why? I feel like we just miss them. In Speak like... for yourself. I'm very observant. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How dare you laugh? <laughs> I am. I'm terribly unobservant in in real life. The laughing will have given that away, but I think it's actually <laughs> it's actually chronic how unobservant I am. I'm also not down with, just to segue horrendously with no context to anybody else, I'm also not down with the running across the hallways, hearing things running. Mm, that must be terrible, especially when the power's out and you're sitting around by candlelight, fuck that. Because running is a very unique, no, unique is not the word I wanted, a very distinct sound. Yes. It's not like scuttling, which could be an animal. Yes. Or scritching, which could be an animal. Yes. It is humanoid. Why do you use the word humanoid? That word petrifies me. Stop using it. Just say human-like. Humanoid <laughs> makes makes me want to punch something in the face. Just, if there ever a word needed to be drop-kicked, it's humanoid. Stop that. Okay, sorry. And our second story today comes from Sam. And Sam wants to shout out their colleague, Louisa, who also listens to the show. So, hello, Louisa. Cool. I went to a school called New Hall School, based in Essex. It was built in the 1600s and was owned by King Henry VIII. It was a convent school for 200 years and was owned by Catholic nuns for that period of time. I was 14 when weird things started happening. We used to sleep in a room called the White Room and it was right at the top of the school, below the clock tower. It was a great room because no one could hear what we were up to, and I was with a lot of my mates. This room was big enough for 14 beds, wardrobes and bedside tables, and we also had two huge bathrooms. Pranks were a constant thing until one night of spooky goings-on. We had a fire elevator in the corner of the room, being at the highest point of the school. It was a special elevator with a floor-sensitive light that turned on if you went inside and could only be sent down if the door was sealed shut with the light on. The elevator went down to part the basement of the school, which is relevant for later. One night we were all giggling and chatting about the school day and it was about 2am. The elevator lights started flickering on and off for about an hour. This had never happened. We heard a loud groan from the bathrooms. The shower slightly ran with water, but the groan continued long after the water had stopped trickling, so it couldn't have been the pipes. And then the elevator went down to the basement. 
The basement part was sealed off from students and the rumour was that it was so highly haunted that the school shut it off from everyone except for nuns. If people ventured in, they were given a horrible, uneasy feeling and were sometimes tripped and pushed. Hence why it was sealed off. It was dangerous. Back to that night and the elevator kept coming up and down with the light flickering the entire time. It just shouldn't happen as the elevator can't be sent down without the light being on and the door sealed shut. The next day, exhausted, 14 boys all went to speak to our housemaster. He called the engineers who did a full diagnostic. Nothing came up. No activation, no light being activated. This continued throughout the week with further engineer visits. We all dealt with it until Saturday night. Only a few of us were there on the weekend due to a rugby tournament the next day. We all started to sleep, but were woken up with loud banging from the bathrooms. We all got up, armed with pillows, and saw that all of our shampoos and washing stuff had been thrown on the floor. Completely creeped out, we tried going to sleep. And we were woken up a few hours later with all the pillows from the other beds on the floor and the lamps all turned towards the elevator and they were all turned on. The white room we found out used to be an infirmary for the nuns for the last 180 years that it was a convent. Over 40 people had died in there. This next story is borrowed from a girl that I used to date, and she gave me permission to tell it. Where she lives when she was younger, her dog used to have constant fits and seizures. She also used to bark at random spots in the walls and sometimes cry in a terrified kind of way. When the whole family were asleep, they would regularly hear something running up and down the hallway. It was an old house they lived in with low doors that would brush against the carpet, which takes a reasonable amount of effort to push the door fully open. One night, Izzy heard her bedroom door open. It was brushing the carpet and was pushed the entire way open, which is odd because it didn't need to be opened the entire way for someone to enter. She thought it might be her sister, who was younger, coming in to have a cuddle like she would occasionally do. It soon became clear that it wasn't. There was no giggle when she entered like her sister normally would to announce herself but there were barefoot noises on the carpet, getting closer and closer to her bed. Every step she would get highly uneasy, and this awful feeling of anxiety and fear would increase. She lay there for two hours until the feeling subsided. She turned around, and the door was closed. Even though she never heard it close, but she definitely heard it open. After telling her parents, who were highly Catholic, they called a priest who came around and inspected the house. He said he needed to contact the Vatican for any blessings, and this takes a bit of time. The things that were happening started happening more after that, and family members began to get ill. The dog died four days after the priest left. She was only four and relatively healthy, A nun called the priest from Ireland, who, 
randomly had no connection to anyone in the story, not even the priest, and asked for her number to be passed on to Izzy's mum. Izzy's mum called her, and the nun described the house from where the mum was standing, right down to the colour of the sofas and the placement of different household items. What made this so weird was that the nun wasn't known for visions, but she was also blind. She warned that something was in the house and it was dangerous and they needed to contact the Vatican to bless the house. The house was blessed and things subsided. However, still to this day they see cloaked figures in their garden and they still hear footsteps in the hallway, one of which I can vouch for. I would like to add that I'm a sceptic but I was totally freaked out by this. What I can add is that the house is located where an old Roman road from London to Colchester used to be. And where the road is located is where monks were slaughtered and many roadside murders and muggings for 600 years happened. On the road, neighbours swapped stories and heard noises and not one house on the road was excluded from this. Six people had also committed suicide in the last 20 years in four of the houses and three people had been admitted to mental health clinics, including Izzy's sister, who had a mental condition that only developed when she lived at the house. Izzy told me this story after I had heard whispering and running in the hallway when I stayed the night. As you can imagine, I got the fuck out of that house very quickly. Yes, I would too, Sam. I believe that you took the right course of action to evade the ghost. I agree. Just get out. It's not worth it. I don't like either of those stories. I don't like technology being spooked. So the lift going up and down of its own volition is not good. Lights, weird stuff in the bathroom. Although the bathroom stuff was probably moaning Myrtle. And yes, it is a boarding school. <laughs> so inevitably it's moaning Myrtle. <laughs> and the, uh, the second story that he borrowed is in many ways worse because of the appearance of the vision from the blind nun, which makes me think of the film Veronica yes. and the really kick-ass blind nun that smokes and ends is, up fighting demons. Is it like a prerequisite of being a blind nun that you have to be really cool? I feel like it is. I know nobody chooses to be a blind nun specifically, but I feel like, you know what? They just have to be cool. I feel like blind nuns that have visions probably hold more weight than seeing nuns that have visions because if that nun's been blind from birth which i'm just presuming wildly um she could have never have seen that house nor seen pictures of that house so to be able to describe it in detail would suggest that she's actually had a vision it would not be like you to jump to conclusions about anything i never do so that. i i, never I am surprised that you would do it now <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not feeling either of these stories. Not in like a nonsense way, but just in a like creepiness. And don't. It's got higher creepiness factors. And story number three today comes from Adriana. For a bit of context, this story revolves around my aunt and her house, which is a duplex. My aunt claims to be a medium, and has always told stories about her paranormal encounters and experiences with the other side. I've always been a bit of a sceptic, 
and although she often told me about her home and the little boy who resided there, I'd always brush it off and make some logical excuse for her stories. One day she asked me to come over and look after her dog Daisy for a few hours, and having no reservations about staying at her house for the day, I agreed. I got to her house early in the afternoon, and Daisy came to greet me. I take her out, and then after she seems content, so I decide to lounge around and watch TV. Daisy has always been a pretty attached dog, and will often hang around next to you. So after about an hour, I realised she wasn't hanging around. I started checking around the house looking for her. Then I started to hear whimpering and scratching noises from upstairs. I head up the stairs and realise the noises are coming from my aunt's bedroom. So I go into her room and see her closet door shaking back and forth. And I can hear Daisy going nuts inside. The part that sent chills down my spine was that she had been locked inside my aunt's closet. And it couldn't have been an accident because it was one of those old closets that had one of the locks that you have to turn and push the bolt into the hole in the frame. I opened the closet door and let Daisy out, who immediately bolted from the room. And at that moment, I felt the temperature in the room plummet, and the chills move from just down my back to an all-over body chill. I also bolted straight out of the room and down the stairs into the lounge, where Daisy was pawing at the backyard door, obviously not wanting to stay inside any longer. And I also, feeling the same way, opened the door and we both ran out into the backyard. We ended up staying outside until my aunt came home and when she came back I told her what happened. She told me that stuff like that often happens in the house and that even the night before she put Daisy in her cage for bed. This cage had one of those double-sided push locks and the next morning Daisy was found outside her cage with her cage door closed and locked. My aunt also mentioned that the little boy ghost who resides in the duplex is very mischievous and often pulls pranks and my aunt has to often tell him to knock it off. How my aunt sleeps in that house I will never know. Nevertheless, I've never agreed to house it again. The other times she's asked me to look after Daisy, I've taken her to my house because I refuse to go into that house. I have no explanation for that day and it's definitely left me questioning my own scepticism. Right. So this little boy ghost is going to be called Todd, because he sounds like a Todd to me. Stunning. Um, I've got a message for Todd, who I'm sure listens to our podcast. I'm sure many ghosts listen to our podcast. If you are going to haunt a house, and you want to be a bit mischievous, by all means, move stuff in the kitchen, run around upstairs... Pull pranks on the man, or the not the man, <laughs> pull pranks on the aunt. By all, by all means, do those kind of things. Be a mischievous child. But you mess with a dog, I'm not down with that. You've crossed a line, Todd. You have. And um, locking a dog in a cupboard is not funny. So, Todd, you need to learn from this mistake and not do it again in the future. That, that almost sounded like a teacher voice. <laughs> I don't think I've ever used my teacher voice on this podcast. I don't think you have either. I feel a bit like... <laughs> to be fair, I don't use it very often as a teacher either. <laughs> I feel like I've been told off and I didn't even lock any dog in a closet. But this is one of those stories that I actually really love. 
because what what is I mean are we are we somehow going to suggest that Daisy is a miracle dog and can lock herself in cupboards or you know it's just it's such a simple story but it is so inexplicable those bolt locks are designed in the olden days so that you couldn't just lock accidentally lock yourself in there out to be a proper turn the key and yeah the lock so for a dog to accidentally get logged in there logged in there locked in there is not not possible so it's just got to be todd and todd you need to behave yourself i've had enough and our fourth story comes from emily i'm a carer i've worked in three residential care homes over the last three years I had quite a lot of bravado and disregard for any spooky happenings for quite some time. But there have been instances that just cannot be easily explained away. I've stopped trying now. There's too many things to mention. It's ghosts, guys. (laughs) I have two really prominent stories in my mind, and I hope you will humour me while I share them. The first is a lovely lady that we will call Sheila, who died last year. She was really small, like tiny, and she used to walk around with a zimmer frame and tilt precariously to one side because her left leg would cause her pain due to a long-standing ulcer. Her leg was always wrapped in a big white bandage that stuck out under her skirt and went down to her ankle. She loved to sit in her bedroom by the window in a big green armchair and look at the garden. The week after Sheila died, a new lady moved into her room. I helped this new woman get ready for bed straight after tea as she requested and then was surprised to see her call bell ringing an hour afterwards. I went in to check on her and she was sat bolt upright in bed looking at a corner of the room. Are you okay? I asked her. She sort of scratched her head and gestured over to the green armchair saying... Yes, I'm absolutely fine, but could you please tell this little woman with the bad leg to leave? She keeps staring at me and I don't think she realises that this is my room. Needless to say, the green chair was empty. The second story is spookier. This care home I used to work in had three corridors with residents' bedrooms running down them. The air in Bluebell Corridor was always different. Whenever I would walk down there, it was like the air was colder and thinner and would sort of catch me in my throat. I always hated doing the nighttime checks down there on my own, right from when I started. There were five women and one man who lived down there at the time, and three shared bathrooms running along the right-hand side. These bathrooms were the sort with automatic lights, so that residents didn't have to remember where the light switches were. So whenever anyone physically entered the room, the light would turn on. And if there was no movement, the bathroom would be dark. I'm sure you get the idea. Anyway, it was nearing the end of my evening shift, and I went to do the checks on Bluebell Corridor. I saw a man's body power across the corridor from the first bedroom into the first bathroom opposite. He was about two metres in front of me, yet I couldn't register his facial features. That freaks me out still now, like he was some sort of blurry person. All I saw clearly was a sleeve full of tattoos. And I felt like he was angry from the way he was walking. 
Immediately, I assumed it was the man who lives on Bluebell, who we will call Phil. I hurried to the bathroom to check that he was okay, but there was nobody there. The light was on. I peeked into Phil's room and he was fast asleep in bed. I came back out of his room, now thoroughly confused and trying to rationalise that I must be tired enough to have imagined somebody there. Then I heard the click of the light in the middle bathroom turn on. The door was open so I could see that there was nobody in there, but there it was all lit up. The middle bathroom light turned off. And finally the third bathroom's light turned itself on and then off again. It was like I was tracking an invisible person moving their way down Bluebell Corridor. I'm a coward, so I ran away and made my colleagues finish the checks down there. The following morning I was back in work again and allocated to Bluebell Corridor. I was helping a resident, who we'll call Mary, get washed and dressed. Mary is living with dementia and sometimes this means people don't take what she says seriously. But Mary is one of those people who has eyes everywhere and always knows the gossip. I asked her how her night was and she said that she thought she'd had a visitor. Oh, I said trying to seem casual. Maybe that was Lisa. She works here and would have popped her head in. Mary said, oh no, no. This was that man. You know the one who walks around here sometimes. I said I didn't know, but maybe it was Phil. Mary shook her head and continued, no, not him. A different man. He's perfectly nice most of the time, except when he gets angry. I said, what do you mean, Mary? Mary looked at me and said, Well, when he gets angry, his eyes turn black. I would just like to say that while I'm certain she was talking about the ghost, I did report this to my manager nonetheless as a duty of care, just in case she was talking about a real man. It was investigated, but Mary is perfectly safe. Nobody is doing her any harm. No men anywhere near her. So my conclusion is ghost ding 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 correct answer i would like to applaud you for doing your duty of doing care your anyway. duty of care because it would be very easy to go oh it's definitely a ghost and then actually what mary is telling you is that something awful is happening mm. to her but she's not able to communicate it yep. in a way that makes sense so well done you for doing your duty of care and that sounds really patronizing i don't mean it to be fucking hell but well done <laughs> we love a diligent worker I said with the most patronising face obviously you can't see that <laughs> well thanks very much <laughs> fucking hell oh little Sheila tiny I love Sheila. her tiny little Sheila just wasn't ready chair. to wasn't ready to leave her chair yet no but I and I would have said because there's lots of like incidences in care homes where like elderly people are on certain medications or even things like kidney infections when you're an elderly person can cause you to to hallucinate or say bizarre things. So you'd kind of if she'd said, "Oh, there's a woman in the corner," I presume that actually yeah. conversations like that are probably quite regular regular in a care home. But when the person is like that tiny woman with the bandage on her leg yeah. who's sitting in that chair, I don't think she realizes this isn't her room. I'd I'd shit myself. Yep. Not as much as the story from Mary, to be fair. No. Because that's terrifying. Yes. Who is the angry man? 
with the tattoos on his arm. And his eyes that change to black when he gets angry. I don't know why you're doing scary eyes at me. Nobody can see us. No, that was more like... Emphasise my point. Oh, it was very scary eyes for emphasising your point. Good. And we've got one more story to go. And our final story is from Joe. I'll have to start by noting that prior to that night, I was a complete non-believer. I'm still quite sceptical to a degree, but I've definitely had a change of heart. My story takes place in 2007, shortly after me and my girlfriend started dating. We'd been out for a meal and a cinema date, as we often did back then. We both lived in different villages in East Yorkshire, so after the date I'd drop my girlfriend back at home and drive the 45 minutes home to my village. I'd probably done this 20 times before this night without any incidents. It would have been about 11pm by the time I left and there were very few other cars on the road and little to no streetlights on the country roads. About 20 minutes into my journey my headlights dimmed without warning then sort of flickered but didn't actually go off. I thought that was really odd but put it down to be a possible electrical fault but continued on as I had no choice. This was the first and last time in the five years or so that I owned this car that anything ever happened. It may be coincidental, but I find it strange that of all the nights, this is the night it happened. About halfway through my journey, I have to enter a village and take a sharp right. I always hated this corner because it sort of creeps up on you, and without knowing the roads could potentially be quite dangerous. The village is really small and quite pleasant during daylight, but at night time it becomes really eerie and creepy. As I'm approaching the turn, perhaps 100 metres away or so, I'm starting to slow down, but probably still moving at around 40 miles an hour. That's when, out of the corner of my eye, I notice something by the window. I haven't immediately turned because I'm looking where I'm going, but I can tell it's white. Oh, perhaps it's a light, I'm thinking. Curiosity got the better of me and I turned. And for a split second, I see a woman with dark hair and a white dress staring back at me. Honestly, it was so brief, but I saw enough. I'm not afraid to admit that it scared the shit out of me. My mind was doing overtime and I was constantly saying to myself, you didn't just see that, you can't have, think about it. I make the turn, and I don't condone speeding, but I just got the fuck out of there quick. Unfortunately, I still had half my journey to go, and it was all I could think about. I'm questioning if I'm tired, are my eyes playing tricks on me? That's when it dawned on me. That she must have been staring at me motionless for 10 to 15 seconds, all while I'm doing about 40 miles an hour. It still creeps me out thinking about it. I managed to get home without any other incidences and head to bed. The next day I mentioned what I'd seen to my girlfriend's family and they laughed and said, ah, was it through Lely? It was. And that's when I learned about the tale of the Lely Boggle. Apparently, it's a common occurrence on that very stretch of road. Legend has it that she can be seen often inside your car. So I think I got off lightly. 
Needless to say, I took an alternative route home after that night. Hell no. Absolutely no, no, not not even processing this story. Oh. I can't handle. I cannot handle. I've driven too many country roads in the middle of the night. Oof. I'm sure everybody's gotten that paranoia where you're on your own driving in a country road at night time and you convince yourself that if you look in the rearview mirror there's still going to be something in the back of your car. I've done that so many times where I've been like there's going to be a person or a fucking alien something's going to be in the back of my car. But yes, you definitely did get off lightly, Joe because can you imagine if you looked in your rearview mirror and you. she was... Th- it's actually making it's actually making my legs go to jelly. I actually would have flipped the car. Like oh, yeah. there was, I would not have been able to contain myself. It reminds me of that time when I was driving home from Canterbury to Norfolk. Um and I was driving through a the outskirts, I want to say the outskirts of Holt in Norfolk, and it was it must have been about two thirty in the morning. Holt it was it was not in the in the town centre, it was on the outskirts on the on the drive through. So it's it's quite you know, they're nice nice houses but there doesn't tend to be a lot of people around at that time of night and no word of a lie my headlights focused on this wall and against the wall was what I can only describe as a gangly teenager who had you know those puffer jackets with the ribs ribbon on it yeah had one of them on but backwards and the hood was covering his face and he was doing some weird kind of dance stop and I saw it and I was just like I'm not even going to think about that because I cannot handle what I've just seen. And it was only when I got home, I was like, <laughs> what was that? Like literally in my headlights doing this weird dance. Had the puff jacket on, wrong way around. Now, knowing Norfolk teenagers, it could have legitimately been a teenager. Oh, it sounds like it definitely was a, a legitimate teenager. When you think about it now, like a puffer jacket backwards, oh. definitely there were friends behind that wall giggling and they were doing that probably mm. to every car that came around. But I would drive fucking straight into them. <laughs> I just scared. It, I just, I was like, I'm not even going to think. Because I know what my mind is like and how easily I'm scared. And I was just like, I am not even registering that. Because if it had been in the town itself, I would have laughed. Because, you know, it's just. But it was just so far beyond. I don't even think it was Holt, actually. I think it was before Holt. In one of the villages before Holt. Because I was coming back a different way. Oh my gosh. It was just not in an area where I expected to see people at that time of night. And it was just so bizarre. Just the movement and the fact that it was just a like a it was like a puffer jacket with a hood over the face. That is more terrifying. The boggle is more terrifying There's no... by a long way. But just seeing stuff where you don't expect when you're driving as well, because it's fleeting glimpses of everything all the time. You never really get to process what you're seeing unless like you're following it. <laughs> There's no wonder that there are so many hitchhiker folklore and mm. stories all over the world. Yep. It's one of those things that doesn't just exist in the UK or America. Like, it's all over the world. Oh, Joe, you you fucked me up, mate. That was a terrible story. I mean, again. I think people know. You're okay. Okay. So if you enjoyed today's episode and you can ever drive again on your own at night time on a country road in East Yorkshire... That's then you can specific if. <laughs> then you can go onto our website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com where you can find links to our social meds links to our email links to our Patreon where for $5 or $2 a month you get heaps of extra content not that anybody needs it at the moment 
And don't forget, if you are able to, if you have the financial means to do so, please donate to Out of the Woods Wildlife Rescue and Rehabilitation. Where, And if you do that, you have the chance to win some free merch. And the link to everything that you need is in the description of this episode. And on that note, we shall see you tomorrow. Boy. Story today. I don't know. I feel. I know that story today. <laughs> I think I'm having a breakdown. It's so <laughs> hot in here. That's what's the only reason I haven't got my shirt off is because I know that the sweat that will collect on my belly from touching this plastic <laughs> thing will be worse than what I'm currently feeling. <laughs> And our third story today, if you gulp that, so help me God. Need to drink. (laughs) Go for it. Thanks, thanks very much. You ready now? Yeah, just about.